Our New Testament reading can be found on your pew Bibles on page 904. There you will find Matthew. I'll be reading through chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. And see, I have made another more five talents. His master said to him, Well done, and good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given." And they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us now bow together in prayer. Gracious God, speak to us in these moments by your word and by your spirit. Help us to see clearly what you call us to do with what you have entrusted to us as your disciples. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. (laughs) 
one of the biggest stumbling blocks to Christian discipleship is not so much what we believe or don't believe about God. Instead, it is what we believe about ourselves. The parable of the talents sheds some light on that problem for us as it calls us to answer the question, why is Jesus so hard on the one-talent man? For no matter how we read this story, the focus is on him, trembling there before his master, his one talent, all safe and sound. Why was Jesus so tough on him? He could have made the five-talent man or even the two-talent man the, the point of this lesson. And then ordinary one-talent folks like, well, like me and perhaps like some of you could enjoy this story a whole lot more. I mean, after all, don't we really get a kick out of watching Jesus cut the Pharisees down to size, just chopping them off at the knees, or, or leaving the chief priests mumbling in their beards? But not here. Here, Jesus focuses on the man who had less from the very beginning. And that seems curious. Because Jesus usually shows sympathy for the lowly, the underprivileged. His heroes are often the, the outcast or, or the oppressed, the overlooked, the runaway son, the despised Samaritan, the blind beggar, the, the leper at the city gates. So why the harsh judgment on this cautious man? He did nothing dishonest. He followed the custom of his day, which was to bury money in the ground to keep it safe. He returned to his master what was rightfully his. So why was Jesus so hard on him? Well, I think that it was the concern of Jesus for those who think of themselves as insignificant or unimportant that led him to spotlight the one-talent man. It was his way of reminding all of us that all of our gifts, however large or small they may be, are important. Problem is that our culture is obsessed with what is big and busy and boastful. We assign greater importance to those things. But Jesus routinely saw the value in what was small and insignificant in the world's eyes. Five loaves and two fish, a mustard seed, a widow's mite, a little child, a sparrow, a pinch of salt. All of this, I think, to get our eyes accustomed to a new way of looking at things and to say to us that bigness can be an illusion to remind us that what is small can have tremendous promise. And that's especially true of people. We often measure people by the size of their salary or the office they hold or the length of their job title. A person is important if he manages vast sums of money or if she supervises large numbers of people or or. If, if he holds a position of great authority and power. 
But that's not how God sees things. You remember God chose a small nomadic band of people, promised to give them some land, and said that they would have a special role in human history. God's son was born among those people in an obscure village, not in a clean bed or a hospital room, but in a barn with animals. He was raised not as royalty, but as a carpenter's child with dust in his hair. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And just look at the people around him, not the leaders of his day, a woman taken in adultery, people who were lepers or demon-possessed, a tax collector for heaven's sake, a group of men who smelled like sweat and fish. All of this to get us used to the idea of God's concern for what may seem insignificant or unimportant, ordinary. Maybe even you and me. I think that's why the spotlight was focused on the one talent man. To show the concern of Jesus for those who tend to think of themselves as unimportant. Who consider their gifts to be meager and of little use. But then again, the question, why is Jesus so hard on this man? Well, perhaps the answer lies here. Certainly the other two men with greater opportunities and resources faced some dangers. The danger of being greedy, the danger of being arrogant or indifferent or or self-righteous. But this one-talent man also faces some peculiar and serious dangers. The danger of thinking of himself as useless. The danger of believing that what he does makes no real difference. The danger of looking out for himself and his own security and then blaming others, including his master, when things go wrong. He's also in danger of being ungrateful for a gift that has been entrusted to him. And he's in danger of being unwilling to take any risks. And so he's guilty of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the sin of respectable people, which is running away from responsibility. So perhaps it was this hiding behind the skirts of littleness that led the master to say, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew who you were dealing with from the very beginning. And still you were faithless in producing any return on what I entrusted to you. The truth of the matter is that while God does bestow gifts upon all of us in abundance, God calibrates those gifts on the basis of what God knows to be our ability. God never expects more of us, any of us, than we are capable of achieving. And then God gives us the freedom to use our gifts responsibly and faithfully. The catch is that we have to have enough faith in God to have faith in ourselves. 
God has always used one-talent people in the accomplishment of his purposes. If you take the halos off the saints and, and look at them, what do you find? Well, there was Sarah, wife of Abraham, an old woman with one foot in the grave. She suddenly found out she was about to have the other foot in the maternity ward. And there was Moses, a man with blood on his hands, who knew that he wasn't eloquent. And yet he's the one who led the people of God from bondage to freedom. There was Mary, an innocent, apprehensive teenager who gave birth to the Messiah. There were James and John, a couple of fishermen boasting about being big shots in the kingdom of God. And Jesus loved them anyway. Paul changed his name after he had been a persecutor of Christians and then became an evangelist and missionary. All of these folks were people who took what God gave them and trusted that God could do something meaningful with it. One talent people whom we now think of as saints. Examples of faithfulness. And the result of their faithfulness is the history and heritage that you and I call the church. They became and then bequeathed to us this global community of faith that has shaped human history more surely and more deeply than any social, political, or economic strategy. God has worked wonders through one talented men and women who were willing to be laughingstocks in the eyes of the world, fools for Christ's sake. But now the spotlight shifts, and it turns away from the man in the parable to begin to flood your life and mine with its brightness. Now I know. We all would be a lot more comfortable if we could control the light and keep it focused on the multi-talented men and women who are important and who feel the burden of their importance. The people whose names appear in the newspaper and who have statues and memorials erected with their names on them. But it's God who controls the light. And God turns it on you and me to see what we are doing with the wealth of gifts and opportunities that have been entrusted to us. If we take this parable seriously, and we don't have to, but if we take it seriously, and if we take seriously the one who told it, then we can believe that all of heaven and earth are waiting to see what you and I are going to do with what God has entrusted to us. Now, some folks may not believe that. As we said earlier, the greatest stumbling block to Christian discipleship is not what we believe about God. We can stand here every Sunday morning and affirm our faith in God with hardly a thought. But the question that really demands a serious answer and a commitment is whether we can believe that all of heaven and earth care about us individually. Now we all understand individual concern, don't we? When it involves a community vigil for a little girl who's trapped in a well or a group of fans praying for 
a beloved athlete who's been injured, or families waiting for the return of their soldier sons and daughters from a foreign land. Individual concern is easy enough when it's somebody else. But this parable would have us know that that same intense personal concern is focused on you and me in the heart of God. There was Jesus last week of his life on earth on his way to Jerusalem where he would suffer and die urging his followers to live for him inviting them to experience the remarkable joy of a life of faithful discipleship calling them to behave in some pretty risky ways yes but to trust God enough to show their love for him and their confidence in God's goodness. Jesus held the spotlight on the one-talent man because far too often, my friends, that man is us. Holding on to the false notion that who we are and what we are and what we do and what we say really doesn't matter very much. He wants us to know that what we are and what we do with the gifts entrusted to us even if they seem insignificant to us, are important to God and to all of heaven. For if the kingdom of God is to find expression in our life and history, it's going to be done as God works through the gifts that have been entrusted to you and to me. And the greatest risk is not that we try to use these gifts and fail, The greatest risk is that we not take any risks for the master. That we not live up to the potential that God has put within each one of us. This parable suggests that to take no risks for Jesus, to hide our talents, to conceal our light under a bushel, is something very close to death. And yet to take risks of faith To invest ourselves and our gifts in the service of Christ is to know the richest blessing that a human being is capable of knowing. And that is the blessing of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The question is, can we dare, can we dare to believe that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.